Happy Sabbath. We are thrilled that you have decided to tune in once again after a one-week break as we desired to spend some time in prayer with God and as we enjoyed a powerful prayer conference led by our lay leadership. And that reminds me of the call that God has placed upon our lives. Whether you're in an institutional church like Loma Linda or in a rural church, God has placed on your heart the call to go and do the work of ministry. So do it well, do it faithfully, regardless of where we are. Today, we're going to talk about that same God. We're going to talk about the idea of the covenant. We're going to talk about Abraham. We're going to talk about Genesis 15. And we get to talk with my friend and colleague, Joey O. But before we do all of those things, let me invite you to pray. God, thank you so much for being a God that allows us to participate in the enterprise of salvation. And as we think about our context and our location, as we think about the call that you have placed upon our lives, we would simply pray that you give us the courage to respond to that call in ways that bring you honor. We pray that you stay with our conversation today. We pray that you stay with each and every one of our viewers, whether it be here in Southern California or across North America or even around the world. We thank you so much for giving us this community that is woven together through your love. And we pray in your name. Amen. So, Joey, how's your week been? How have you? You've been doing some interesting ministerial work. I, I heard that you had a couple Sabbaths that where you're helping out other churches. How is that going for you? Oh, it's been it's been good. It's it's good to go to other churches and find out what's happening in, in how God is moving powerfully in other churches around our conference, around our state. So it's it's been really awesome. But I, I am I'm so excited with what God did during the prayer conference at our church. Um, we've been on this journey of rediscovery of the prince of biblical principles of laity, right? Mm -hmm. That laity doesn't um, talk about a distinction between clergy and non-clergy. It's we are all the people of mm -hmm. God. And so it was amazing to have, to hear from voices we don't normally hear from. And so that, that was really powerful. That yeah. was a blast. Yeah. Joey, I, we had three amazing young women delivering, I thought, heartfelt and mm. poignant messages. Nicole on Thursday and Kelly on Friday and Carissa on Saturday. And I think we were all just in awe. Mm -hmm of how God is moving powerfully through the lives of these young women. And if this is what the future of the church looks like, then maybe we should rest easy because the future is in great hands. Yeah, it's exciting. It's exciting. Um, and if God is moving, you know, it just reminds me of what he did in the New Testament. Mm. If God is moving powerfully in a segment of people, who are we to stand in God's way, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I think that's I think that's really powerful. And I'm glad to belong to a church that gives opportunity for anyone to be able to share the messages that God is sharing with them and uh, to be a part of ministry. Well, Joey, I, I couldn't echo those sentiments more. It was just so exciting to sit there and listen to this new crop of speakers and their faithfulness to the text, the way they wrestle with Scripture. Yeah. That was so apparent. The fact that they take the text seriously and that there were no easy 
platitudes like mm -hmm. so often happens where you where you have so much filler in mm -hmm. a message it was just poignant and profound whether it be in Kelly's case reaching back to her own history yeah. um, or in Carissa's case reaching back to this fear that we have of being used by God and called by God mm -hmm. and how she took that passage from Isaiah and just made it so relevant. And then Nicole, I couldn't believe she was a junior. Yeah. A junior As, and in this high is, school. This is her first <laughs> experience public speaking. Wow. And she wrote that whole message herself. Yeah. So powerful. So powerful. And it just shows that God speaks through young and old, through men and women, through um, all, all ethnicities, through all mm. backgrounds. God is not God is not um, limited in the way that He moves in people's lives, and just just really excited to see a little bit of that this past weekend. Absolutely, Joey. I if some of our viewers out there haven't had the chance to look at any of these messages, we would invite them to tune in louc dot org, and you can simply click click on our video archive, and all of the prayer conferences messages will be there. I know you're going to be blessed. Now today, this Sabbath, we are going to talk about the covenant, but we are doing so within a really interesting context because we are celebrating our healthcare providers and nestled as we are in the middle of a healthcare institution, we would be amiss if we don't thank our, particularly our nurses, but all our healthcare providers for their selfless work during these past couple of years. I mean, there are amazing people in every field that work in the hospital and have worked throughout tirelessly throughout the pandemic. You know, there's respiratory therapists, there's doctors, there's um, uh, PTs, there's all sorts of people who've, but nurses form the backbone, mm. I think, of our hospital and our healthcare system. And without them, the whole thing collapses. Mm -hmm. And so, um, it, I think it's so appropriate that we are saying thank you to the nurses in our community, the nurses who have sustained us throughout the pandemic and who have sacrificed so much so that the rest of us could rest easier. And so I think it's so powerful that we're mm. doing that this weekend. And it's especially poignant for me, Joey, because as you might or might not know, my mother is a nurse, mm. my grandmother was a nurse, my aunt is a nurse, my uncle is a nurse. I have... Uh, cousins who are in, who are nurses, and um, I didn't really like uh, the medical field, but I I do have a lot of family that I love so much that I see, um, and that have worked tirelessly through the pandemic. So to all our nurses, but in particularly to the nurses from my clan, just thank you, thank you for your service. So Joey, let's go to Genesis chapter fifteen. Yeah. Today we continue our study on the book of Genesis and we're talking about these. This is where I think the story picks up. Mm. Up to this point, these first 15 chapters, we have had the author set the stage up. Mm. And we talked about this before, right? These idea, this idea of Genesis being divided in 12 Toledot or 12 stories of. Mm -hmm. And really, I, I found something really interesting uh, that Julius Wellhausen, a famous Old Testament scholar, wrote about Genesis, where he makes the point that the whole rhythm of the narrative is pointing to Exodus and to God's liberating world, mm -hmm. work. Because after all, sadly, we don't live in this Edenic paradise. We all live in Egypt. Mm -hmm. And so 
part and parcel of developing this unbreakable faith is mm -hmm. knowing that God will respond in our experiences of Exodus. Mm -hmm. And so here, I think in chapter 15, you really start getting this idea of covenant. Mm -hmm. Now, I know if you took a class in Old Testament uh, with several of our professors, there was a lot of conversation uh, that was had over the past few years about the differences, right, between covenant and contract. This idea kind of is recurring um, as we talk about both, yeah. both. And I was thinking as I read Genesis 15 that perhaps yeah. we needed to just simply give a dirty working definition that helps people understand what a covenant is vis-a-vis vis -vis a contract. Joey, do you see any differences that jump mm. out at you or that, that you might want to share? Yeah, I mean, one aspect um, that that I see uh, as a difference between a contract and a covenant, although covenant is has elements of uh, contracts in, in it, is something that uh, Timothy Keller talks about, how contracts are utilitarian, mm -hmm. right? The whole pr purpose of a contract is to get something mm -hmm. out of it. And as long as you are useful to me, I will remain mm -hmm. in this contract. But a covenant is something deeper than that, according to Timothy Keller. He he talks about how covenant is um, a relationship that you're committed to, even if it's not beneficial mm -hmm. to me. So that's why we talk about marriage as a covenant. I don't only stay in my marriage with my wife if she's useful to me mm -hmm. or if she's beneficial to me. That's why we say things like in sickness and in death, mm -hmm. right? So that even when, even if um, my wife draws more life from me than she gives to me at certain points in, in, in our marriage, I am committed to the relationship. I, it is beyond that. It's a covenant that we make to our children, right? When children are born, there is no, I mean, newborns, they give very little. They, they, they don't even smile at us, right? They just take and take and take. And yet as a parent, we are we have made a commitment to them that we will care for mm -hmm. them and love them. And that transcends whatever we get back from them. Right. right? And so this element of um, utilitarianism is being one of the difference be differences between covenant and contract. How about you? What I think I think you just hit on on what I was going to say. So thank you. Um, <laughs> no, I think you're you're on to something. I think, and we've talked about this here, uh, and we've talked about it during our training for our leaders. Um, just thinking about this, I think, as I was mulling over what Christian leadership is mm. uh, in attempting to replicate the God the way that God uh, relates to us. I think you're right. I think the purpose of a contract is transactional. Mm. The purpose of a covenant is transformational. Mm. And so I think that idea, right, where you are invested in this relationship that ends up changing you, yeah. uh, marriage changes you, uh, parenthood changes you. Mm. In this relationship with God, the idea, at least, is that it will change a people. Now, remember, this isn't the first time that the idea of covenant has popped up mm -hmm. in the Genesis account. We had kind of this global covenant with Noah, a few chapters back, but this is a more specific covenant because in this covenant, God is attempting to transform a people. So for mm. me, um, just added to your idea of yeah. contractual and um, utilitarian, right? Uh, I think it's it's the idea that the purpose of a covenant is transformational. Mm. Uh, and so that's, I think, what God is trying to do with Israel. That is so powerful. I love that, that it's it's not transactional, it's transformational. 
It reminds me of, so in, in our family, for our family worships, we've been reading a book called The TechWise Family by Andy mm -hmm. Crouch. And uh, if you're looking for a book to help your family navigate questions about technology, how to navigate cell phones and iPads and computers, and how do you do that as a family well, I highly recommend this book. It's been really transformational mm -hmm. for us. But in one of the chapters, he talks about how the point of family is formation. Mm -hmm. Like the family, of course, family is there to love us and all of that, but that creates the context for formation mm -hmm. to occur. And specifically, he talks about two elements of formation, wisdom and courage, mm -hmm. right? Wisdom is knowing what is the right thing to do, and courage is having the courage to do the right thing. Mm. And he says only in family do you get that kind of formation because only family knows you well enough to help you form. Mm. Because there's you know, you may be able to fool the world, but you don't fool your family, right? You can't just be on your best behavior all the time with your family. So they see elements of you that other people don't yeah. see. And you're, you feel safer showing that to your family because of that commitment that you have to your family, that they have to you, that they will love you no matter what. And that love, that commitment to love each other no matter what creates a context for formation mm -hmm. and transformation to happen in the context of family. And the church at its best is, is supposed to be like a family. Right. It's supposed to be a place where that kind of formation happens as well. That is so well stated. Um, I tried to use some of these principles at home as we're navigating mm -hmm. um, with an 11 year old yeah. on phones and technology. Yeah. And this idea was really appealing, right? That we approach technology in the same way that we would a car. Mm -hmm. And so um, we had this conversation, hey, at, cer at a certain age, you don't get to touch the steering wheel, period, yeah. right? And then at a net, and then you grow up a little bit, and you get to maybe touch the radio, um, <laughs> yeah. but it's monitored. I'm right there, sitting next to you. Yeah. And then you know you get a little older, and then finally mm. you drive. But I'm still there in the car with you, and finally you have the car mm. all to yourself. <laughs> My youngest said, "No, Dad, I I don't." Uh, that's not going to work for me because I can drive already. And so <laughs> please pray for me because we're going to have some, some formational work ahead of us. The best laid plans. Yes. Right? You know, we, do, we, we found such an apt analogy and it just, it didn't work. Um, Joey, so just in the context of this idea of covenant and formation and transformation, I want to start simply by reading Yahweh's words. Mm to Abraham as he is introducing this concept of the covenant. He says, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Hmm. So I think two of the things that you mentioned pop out within, within the text. Hmm. First, this idea that I can't get anything out of this. Mm. This is not beneficial to me in mm. any way. I I am your shield mm. and I am your reward. You can't do anything for me. But then secondly, this, this idea of formation and this idea of formation that happens through emotional intimacy. Mm. It's funny when you see all these theophanies, these appearances of God, these mm. moments where the voice of God is audible or even a vision comes. 
God's first words almost always are, do not be afraid. Mm. And it's almost as if God is attempting to establish a forum in order for us to have these formational experiences. Oh, wow. I love that. Yeah. And it's interesting that that's the first thing that he says, do not be afraid, right? And if we skip back to the beginning of our studies, I mean, that's exactly after sin. That was the first reaction mm -hmm. that Adam and Eve had to God was fear. And it seems like ever since we've been hiding from God mm -hmm. and God is saying, don't be afraid of me. I'm here for you. Please. I'm safe. I'm safe to be with. I, I, I love you. I care for you. Come out of hiding so that I can mm -hmm. form you. So I think yeah. that's so powerful. Yeah. And what I love about this idea of God calling us not to fear, Joey, is mm. as we see the, the history of covenant through the Hebrew Bible, first you have Noah and it's universal. Mm. Then Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant is obviously more specific. It is now with a tribe. Then the Mosaic covenant gets even more specific because now you have some guidelines. So as the specificity in the covenants increases, this idea of the purpose of the covenant sometimes gets murky. Mm. In Noah, the, the threat of fear was evident. Yeah. After all, you come out of the boat and yeah. everything has changed. Yeah. With Abraham, the idea of fear is not in the environment outside, but in my own circumstances, right? Mm -hmm. And God's going to talk about this. Noah's gonna, uh, Abraham's going to say, I don't have children. Mm -hmm. And then with Moses, the idea is not the circumstances, not the environment, but the covenant itself maybe being the reason why we're afraid. And so this idea of covenant has somehow gotten twisted <sighs> where this thing that was intended not to provide fear mm -hmm. is now seen as a measuring stick that actually causes fear. Wow. Yeah. The thing that was supposed to prevent fear now is seen as the cause of fear, mm -hmm. as the source of fear. That's, that's so true. And it, it seems, it seems that as more and more time passes, maybe their perspective of who God is, is also getting more and more warped. You know, when, when Adam and Eve were able to meet with God face to face, they were able to have a level of intimacy that we have not been able to have ever since sin has come into play. And that distance, you know, they sometimes say distance makes the heart grow fonder. But the truth is mm. that sometimes distance distorts the relationship and makes the heart wander, right? Mm. And so that's, that seems to be what's happening here. The heart is the, the heart of humanity is wandering away from God. And our view of God is being distorted. And he is trying over and over again in many different ways to be with us. We're Adventists, right? We're the, we believe in the God who comes, right? Mm -hmm. The God who comes near to us and is, is present with us. That, that God continues to try to do that even as we continue to wander away. Mm. And that seems to be what he's doing here. So the invitation then would be that if you're covenant, whatever whatever that looks like. Um, we have here at, at Loma Linda certain things that we covenant to, mm -hmm. to certain values um, that, that, are, that help us when trying to make decisions. If any of these things that we create mm. promotes fear, then mm -hmm. I think that's a great test <laughs> in trying to define and decide if 
the perp if we're actually keeping a covenant or we're creating covenantal structures in the mm. same way that Yahweh creates covenantal structures, which which puts the onus then on me to ask myself questions about my belief system, my theology, the mm. way I approach life. Am I creating fear or am I pushing, as you've mentioned, am I pushing forward towards formation? Yeah. Are we driving people to fear and to be frozen with fear? Are we instilling courage so mm -hmm. that they're able to move forward mm -hmm. and follow God and realize how much God really does is their shield and their great reward so they have nothing mm. to fear? Yeah. yeah, well, so then God says, hey, Abraham, I'm your shield. I'm your great reward. This is good news. This is the gospel, folks. Yeah. Why is it that we always try to reduce God? Because listen to Abraham. Abraham here, hears this and says, well, you know what, God? Um, that sounds great, but we have a real palpable, tangible problem. And that is, I don't have an heir, and I've got a lot of stuff, and Eliezer is going to inherit all my stuff. Yeah. So it's this beautiful promise. And you mentioned, I think you've connected beautifully with this idea in the beginning that Adam and Eve have, right, with with being afraid and this relationship being broken mm -hmm. in the in Eden and God trying now to repair and restore this and Abraham misses it and says well it's about stuff yeah. why is it to that we try uh, to always make God smaller than God is <laughs> that's a good question we try to what, what is what is the saying? God created us in His image, and ever since we've been trying to return, return the favor. that favor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We try to bring God down to our level, and I mean, I get it from um, Abraham's perspective. He's old, right? And you know, heirs were very important right. back then, right? They're your, they really are your retirement plan. Mm -hmm. Who's going to take care of you in your old age? It's not going to be your servants. They're not going to care about you when you right. can't provide for them anymore, right? Who's going to watch out for you? It's going to be your heirs. So heirs were crucial, so important. Of course, there's the aspect of carrying my, down my lineage. And of course, if you're thinking spiritually, maybe he's also thinking, who's going to continue the mission that mm -hmm. God has called me to, right? So there's all these elements that are very, very important. But the way it comes out, you can tell this has been on Mm -hmm. Abraham's mind. He's just waiting for the opportunity yeah. to say yeah. this to God because it has nothing to do nothing with, to what, do God with what God is. Saying. That's exactly right. Yeah, he's just like pours out, and it comes out almost a little passive aggressive, right? Mm -hmm. Like, well, I guess I'm going to have to give it all to Eliezer if that's right. what because you're not providing for me. Like, it's so. Yeah. <laughs> it's a yeah. little bit whiny. It's a little bit passive aggressive. It's not a great look for Abraham here. It's not. Joey, that's that's what I read when I was thinking about the lesson and just reading through this passage again and again. And I'd never caught that. I'd I'd never seen kind of the level of desperation mm. uh, because we want a God that we can feel and that we can sense and that is palpable and active. Yeah. Um, if I am sick, the promise of eternal life in heaven sounds great. And I mean, how can we compare this temporal feeling of illness with eternity in God's presence? But really, I tend to care about the present and the state mm -hmm. of affairs as I am experiencing here on earth. And I think, 
I think it's so, it says so much about God and it says so much about the nature of covenants mm. that God almost disregards what Abraham is saying. Mm. He hears this whiny, passive aggressive comment and he says, <laughs> you know, come here. Uh, it takes him outside and says, look at, look at, look at the stars. Mm. And he look, Abraham looks at the stars and I can imagine mm. um, then hearing the words if indeed you can count them, so shall your offspring be. Mm. And when Abraham hears this, this is a crucial text, not only for the Old Testament, but as the lesson points mm. forward to the New Testament and this promise, this covenantal promise. This is a central text for us Protestants. Mm. Abraham believed to the Lord and he credited to him as righteousness. Wow, wow. What was it that he believed in? Because we never get the shift from passive-aggressive Abraham to, <laughs> I'm sorry, God, I messed up. Yeah. Um, the, the text kind of is silence. It simply says that Abraham believed and God credited to him as righteous. I mean, on a, a just a surface level, it seems like it's saying that he believed that God would come mm -hmm. through, that he would... It, Keep that promise that that um, you would have a son who is your own flesh and blood mm. who will be your heir. Like he believed that God was going to come through mm -hmm. for him. And, you know, I think it says a lot about faith that Abraham shows a lot of doubt here, but the passage focuses on his mm -hmm. faith. And it does seem to say that faith is not contingent on having no doubts. Mm -hmm. Because if it were, none of us would have faith right. because we have doubts, right? Um, I, I love this quote. If you would be a real seeker after truth, it is necessary that at least once in your life you doubt as far as possible all things. Mm. And that's Descartes that yeah, says that's... that, right? And I think I think that that is so true that at some point we're going to doubt, probably more than once. And... Um, and faith doesn't say you can't doubt, right? but that God will journey through you through your doubt. And faith is saying, God, I'm going to stick with you even if I'm not yeah. sure. Yeah, no. And I, I think, I mean, if anyone knows about doubt, it was Descartes. Um, Descartes famously began to doubt everything, even his own existence, and came up with that famous dictum, I think, therefore, I am as yeah. a result of his experience with radical doubt. Mm -hmm. So I think if anyone knows uh, the power that doubt has mm. is Descartes, but it seems like God focuses more on, on our faith than, mm. in, than on our doubt. And it yeah. seems also through this passage, Joe, I was just thinking this week, and I'm going to build some theology that I've been wrestling with this week and I'm still rather unsure of. So please um, send your comments. Tell us what you think. If, if this tracks with the way you read a story, Abraham believed, and I completely concur with you, that what he believes in is this promise that you will have an heir that is your own flesh and blood. Mm. And so Abraham believes this, and it is credited to him as righteousness. But he doesn't always believe this. <laughs> if you keep reading the story, yeah. Abraham's going to have a fair amount of encounters with doubt, mm -hmm. even after he has received this promise. Yeah. It never, however, says that this righteousness was di was discredited to him, right? <laughs> it was never 
retired uh, from his account. It was like God just needed one moment, one instance of belief, one openness in your heart, in your life, in your experience, one chance that you give him. And God's going to keep working with you and through you in spite of the fact that sometimes at some point, and what I hear you saying is even these things that we were so sure of mm-hmm. uh, become murky. Yeah, it's so true. Yeah, I love that. I love that. That it never says it was discredited. <laughs> right? Just that 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 I'm glad that that verse ne- doesn't exist in the Bible. Now, of course, we're not saying you know this idea of once once saved, always saved, right? right? Because I love what you said there that God works with him, right? That he works alongside him, and it's not a matter of. Um, it's not so much about Abram's faith, but about the God he has faith in. Mm-hmm. And that that God is a God who is tenacious. I love how, I think it's G.K. Chesterton who calls him the hound of heaven, mm-hmm. right? That just will grabs that scent and will not let go. That We see that tenacity in God throughout the story of Abram and who eventually becomes Abraham. And that gives me hope for me. And God also is that way with me. And that kind of makes it a little bit different. At least it places a different spin on this economy of salvation that we've always had. Now, Mm. I'm glad that you said it because it needed to be said. We're not saying once saved, always saved. But what we are saying is typically Mm. when you hear the conversation, it's, well... The past, and and this this comes to us famously um, from Paradise Lost mm. and um, and from Dante's Divine Comedy that the that the path is narrow mm. uh, and tortuous. The mm. path leading out of hell into some into salvation is narrow. I don't think that's the case. Mm. I think. I think that's not recognizing how impactful and powerful God's grace is. I think the path is wide and broad. Hmm. Because if you go on a detour, God is going to be the hound of heaven Hmm. and relentlessly push you back onto the way. Because at some point, somewhere, somehow, you opened your heart and it was credited to you as righteousness. That doesn't mean that you're saved because of that decision, but that means that once you've opened your life Mm -hmm. and your heart to the Spirit of God, that Spirit of God is going to continue to hound you. Mm -hmm. And that makes getting lost a really, really difficult proposition. Wow, I love how you said that because that's normally the the mental image I have of following God is a very precarious path where there's pitfalls on either side. And, you know, there are elements of truth to that, but but it's not like God is intentionally trying to make this mm-hmm. hard for us. In, in fact, how you describe it, God's grace is so large, he tries to expand that path mm-hmm. for us as much as possible. And that seems to really resonate with um, the imagery of Isaiah chapter 40. I was reading this in my devotions, um, I think yesterday or the day before, um, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 4, where it, it describes what God will do for the people of Israel when he delivers them. He says, every valley shall be raised up 
Every mountain mm. and hill made low, made low, the rough ground shall become level, and the rugged places a plain. Mm. It's God is saying, I'm going to make this as easy as possible for you. I'm going to make the path wide, flat, even, smooth, so that you can have the way forward. And that seems to be the love and grace of our God mm-hmm. to try to do that. So I love that imagery that you 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 describe. And yet we're not trying to be Pollyannish because mm-hmm. I think the pitfalls and the perils that you're mentioning are real. Yeah. I think life is difficult and painful mm-hmm. and we deal with moments of doubt. We we deal with what John of the Cross calls the dark night of the soul, right? We deal with this on a pretty regular basis. So we're not trying to diminish the reality of those pitfalls and perils. And mm-hmm. if you are in inhabiting a space like that, yeah. we want to tell you that it, that our hearts are with you and our prayers are with you and we recognize how difficult and painful it might be. But I think you remember that the path is wide and broad and has a bunch of on-ramps. <laughs> yes. Um, so yes, that. we all detour and we're going to go <laughs> sideways because life is tough. But the beauty is that God's grace has a bunch of on-ramps and I think that's what God wants to make sure Abram understands. Because immediately after the promise of an heir, you have the promise of land, right? Mm. The promise of a family and the promise of earth are one and the same in the covenantal experience of Abraham. And so you have this promise of this land that is now going to be gifted to him. And the land is a symbol. It's a symbol of God's reign, his total reign over his people. But before you get into that land, Mm. God recognizes the pitfalls and the perils. Mm. Um, I love the the way it says it here. Then the Lord said to him, verse 13, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions." You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. God says, just give me a chance and I will credit it to you as righteousness. But God is also realistic enough to understand Mm -hmm. that life has our exiles, that life has Mm -hmm. our Egypt, that life has our 400 years of slavery. And that it is in those moments, I think, that the promise of covenant becomes even more important Mm -hmm. because it is that promise that is going to lead you to remain hopeful and maintain some degree of positivity even in the midst of your enslavement. Yeah. I mean... I think there is something powerful about knowing that this is coming. Like God is telling you, this is coming. When it happens, don't be worried. I mean, that's the whole point of prophecy, right? Don't be mm-hmm. worried. I'm still in control. You're going to get out of this, right? I, I know what's coming. It's not going to be scary. It's kind of like what happens when I take my kids on a roller coaster. I know what's happening. We're going to get out to the other side. It's going to be fine. But to a certain extent, I mean, hearing that your descendants are going to be slaves for 400 years, that must have been pretty disconcerting mm-hmm. to Abram to, to, to know that that's what the future holds. And, and even for him, it doesn't mean even though he's going to die at a good old age, man, the next few chapters, there's a lot yeah. of 
waiting and heartache and um, tension and infighting and all of these things and loss, right? What happens at Sodom and Gomorrah, there's all of this in the story. So it, yeah, it's not Pollyannish. It's very real about what life is going to be like. But I love what, how you describe it, that it's, it's a wide road with many on-ramps. Mm. It's more like it's more like the 10 freeway than it is a like a mountain road up right. to PUC, right? It's, uh, <laughs> maybe with a little bit less traffic. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully. Well, actually, no, yeah, hopefully we, we want have more a tra- lot of traffic yeah. on there, actually, if, if yeah. the analogy is to work. <laughs> it just reminds us of the way of Jesus, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, I, I, I wonder um, if, if I were to try to make a sales pitch for uh, the Jesus ethic or a covenantal life. I I can imagine starting and saying, hey, you know what? I've got this great plan for you. Look, whatever issues you're having, I'm going to resolve. In your case, it's the issue of heirs. So I'm going to give you an heir. And actually, I'm not going to just give you one heir. I'm going to supersede all your expectations. And not only am I going to give you heirs that resolve your current problem, that thing that keeps you awake, but I'm going to go even above and beyond. And I'm going to give you earth and land. Mm -hmm. That sounds like a really good sales pitch. Yeah. Which is why the disclaimer seems a bit disconcerting. (laughs) Yeah. But that reminds me of Jesus in a way. And Jesus is telling the disciples, his first disciples, hey, follow me and I will make you fish for people. Well, I don't know about you, but that sounds much, much better than fishing for fish. Mm. Allowing me to be, to have front row seats to the inbreaking of the kingdom of God sounds amazing. Mm. But then Jesus says, hmm, if you want to follow me, if, if you want to follow me, to truly be my disciple, you must deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And then it's like, wait, what? <laughs> there, there's, this, there's this disclaimer. And I think Christianity, mm. on the journey of faith, when we're talking about these covenantal relationships, would do well to lean into both of those realities. Mm. Lean into the reality that, yes, God is a great God. And yes, miracles happen. And yes, he will provide all of our needs. And he has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And he has plans that for us that we may prosper. But mm. there, the path of Christ is the path of the cross. It is the path of Golgotha. It's a Christianity is a paradox. Mm. Nowhere best expressed than in this idea of a thorny crown. Mm. And so I think too often when we're trying to sell the idea of covenant Mm. as transactional, we go back to this notion of Invest in God and he will bless you, right? (laughs) Send your tithes and offerings to our church and plant a blessing and you will have everything you want. That job that you've been wanting, that relationship that you've been desiring, that family that you've been dreaming about, that car and home that you you want and aspire to, it can all be yours. Well, maybe. 
but there's also the way of the cross. Mm. And so I think it's, it's, it's important when we're talking mm. about intimate transformational relationships to lean into both of those realities. Miguel, I think you missed your calling as a televangelist. Mm. You could have made a lot more money if you were. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I do think, so your point is then, the one of the challenges of the prosperity gospel then is, is the, this imbalance, right? And I think that's where we've gone into trouble in the past is where we focus on one aspect of God over the mm -hmm. others. And we don't allow these, sometimes they seem contradictory elements of who God is. The fact that following God is both um, uh, prosperous and a blessing, and it's also difficult and, and hard. And those two things can be true at the same time, mm -hmm. and they need to remain in tension with each other if we really are going to stay true to who God is, because those two things are actually real. The fact that God is both divine and human also in tension with each other, right? Um, that when we try to resolve the tension by favoring one aspect over the other, that's when we get into trouble. Yeah, and we make we make this idea of covenantal relationships something that we're not. We reduce them to the way we manage human relationships and, and we make them contractual, don't mm. we? We say, hey, if you give God uh, this, then God will give you X, Y, and Z. And I think mm. for me, when I hear these, these sermons that might be a blessing to some people and God works in many ways, I always feel a tinge of discomfort because I realize, hey, life doesn't always work out. Mm. Sometimes, and if you live long enough on this planet, some bad stuff is going to happen. Yeah. 400 years of slavery are going to happen. Mm. And how do you deal with that when your relationship with God is transactional? Mm. So the point, I think, and, and this was just so, it's so burrowed itself into my heart and my mind over this past weekend at our mm. prayer conference. Because I used to think of prayer as transactional. If I pray hard enough and long enough, if I bug God enough, then I'm going to change God's mind. Mm. And perhaps the point of prayer and the point of covenant and the point of these relate these intimate relationships with God is not to change God's mind but to change my heart mm. and so I think if we're in a covenantal relationship with God we will be able not only to rejoice when the air comes mm. and the land is gifted to us but we will be able to survive when the 400 years of slavery come wow that's so powerful that the the journey of God is wide, but it's sometimes twisty and hard, and but all of it leads us to a, a place where we are transformed, we are created, recreated back into the image mm -hmm. of God. That's yeah. beautiful. Well, I love the way you put it, uh, that just like in a family, mm -hmm. in the body of Christ, the ultimate purpose is formation. God is trying to mold us into something different because who we are right now let's face it hasn't worked out mm. wow. joey would you like to close us off in prayer yes our good and gracious god we want to thank you so much for being 
a God who sticks with us, for being the God, the hound of heaven who doesn't let us go. That our faith, as tenuous at times as it may be, as full of riddled with doubts as it may be, um, you take that little bit of faith and you grow a mustard tree mm. with it. And we want to thank you so much for being that God and ask that you help us to stick to you as you stick with us, is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And in the spirit, friends, of this lesson, this lesson that attempts to have us deal with the paradox, we want to pray with you. This is what we want to covenant with you this week. Send us prayer requests. Send us something that we can partner with you in, mm -hmm. in prayer. And we covenant with you that if we get one request, we'll pray for it. If we get a hundred comments, we will not only reply to those, but we will be praying for those all this week. So please, on our YouTube page or you know our emails. Uh, Joey, what is your email so that you can remind people? J-O-O-H at L-O-U-C dot org. And mine is mmendez at L-O-U-C dot org. Please flood our inboxes with your, with your prayer requests. We would love, love, we want a covenant to pray with you until we meet again.